is Michelob Ultra Tuscan Orange Grapefruit. My God, America is imploding. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Fan Zone debate. Tonight, we have uh, a good one for you. We got Joe Fairley making his return uh, from earlier in the year where he debuted against Kirk Polkowski, now champion. Uh, he's going up against Jacob E. West, or as some call him around here, I don't I don't really get the joke, but Papa West, something about him. Yeah, I get that he has kids, but... I, anyway, uh, so we got Joseph or Joe and Jacob uh, debating tonight. It's going to be interesting. Cody, you're here. Uh, what you think? Yeah, um, Jacob. Uh, Jacob's very few in this community that actually have children and like are not like in college and stuff like that. Like there's a, there's a few of us, and some don't have kids yet. But I think that's where it started. Um, this match is going to be interesting. Uh, Joe um, is very good, but he. Ran up in against his very first match against Kirk, which Kirk's the champion here, so not easy. And Jacob is probably going to come in and yell something at me because he has something against me for some reason. But he's a New York Yankees fan, so he already has problems. So That's fair. they lost to Baltimore. Uh, and then Lucas, you are here. Uh, welcome. How are you feeling? I mean, him being a New York Yankees fan, he's going to lose every point. So um, we'll, tr we'll try to hide our biases. Um, I don't really know anything about either of these guys as a debater, so it's going to be interesting to see, like, you know, how they structure their arguments, what they come up with, how they argue their cases, and, you know, just sit back and have a great time judging other people doing hard work. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So uh, we will start. Uh, both these guys are 0-1 coming in uh, today, trying to get the win. We're going to start by talking uh, to Papa West. Jacob, welcome. Uh, we haven't seen you since last season when you played, uh, but you played well in that match. How are you feeling about taking on Joe tonight? Um, I mean, no one believes in me. I asked little Sean if he believed in me. He called me a little piece of shit. I asked Captain America, my lovely fish right here, if he believes in me. He hasn't said a word. And I asked my wife if she believes in me, and she moved away uh, almost a year ago. Um, so no one believes in me. But I'm not wearing the Yankee hat. I'm wearing the TCU hat today because uh, fuck the Yankees. They've really upset me this year. Um, so hopefully I get something out of that. Okay, uh, so next we'll bring in Joe. Uh, I feel like Dr. Joe, Phil needs to come in. <laughs> Joe, welcome. Like we said, your uh, debut was actually the first match of the year, um, playing uh, Kirk in the tournament. Um, you just kind of slid it, got got the slide in into the 16 seed because we needed to fill the spot. Um, and now uh, you're here to play Jacob. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I think last time it had been a while since I'd been on here and had a been on somewhere and had a debate, and it was about three a.m. It's only two a.m. now, so you know I should I've got that extra hour. So we'll see what happens. I always got on with Jacob. Really fun guy. Obviously, see him over in some of the other divisions, always hosting and stuff like that. So he's always a good laugh. Um, so I'm really interested to see what he's going to come up with here. And uh, I'd make sports references, but mine are all football based. Ah, I see what you did there, because you're from that place where that James place. does the things. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> we're going to get into the match now. Uh, here's how it's going to work. 
The competitors drafted four categories. Me and Cody then gave them questions based on said categories. And then uh, they are going to debate those questions. So um, each player gets a minute opening, followed by a five-minute free form, followed by a one-minute closing for each competitor. At the end of the question of the debate, Lucas, Cody, and I will write on our handy-dandy boards who we think won the point. Um, and the first person to get three points is the winner of the match. If we get through all four questions and we are tied, we will go to a speed round bonus question. So, uh, any questions from the competitors before we get into it? Well, good. Alrighty, let's fight. All right, we are going to get started uh, with my favorite category, Middle Earth. Uh, this was drafted by Joe in what is easily one of my favorite questions we've had in Fan Zone Debate. Uh, your question is, who would be the worst fandom character in all of fandom to replace Samwise Gamgee in the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Uh, I'm very excited about this. Uh, Joe, you drafted this, so you need to go first. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking, and I will come in and give you a 10-second warning when the time comes. You know, Sam and Frodo went through a lot together, many, and went through many different terrains, um, from the Shire to Mordor, forests, icy mountains, rocks, marshes, volcanic wastelands. Uh, movies employee Randall once described the trilogy as three movies of walking. Um, while that may be an oversimplification, he wasn't exactly wrong. Only on two occasions do we see the Fellowship cross water, Buckleberry Ferry and at Ammon Hen. Uh, and that's just one reason that Dory would be the worst fandom character to replace Samwise Gamgee. There is nothing that she could offer that would be an improvement. In fact, the only reason she was of use to Marlin is because she could read. And putting aside the fact that she can't survive on land, she has no short-term memory. Frodo would have been dead before they reached Rivendell, either she would have forgotten why they were hiding from the ring race in the forest, or she would have uh, forgotten that she was looking for Athalas in the woods. Frodo would have been dead if Dory was there, and that's why she is the worst replacement. Time. All right, we'll move over to Jacob. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Uh, so yes, Samwise Gamgee, the true hero of the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy. Uh, and as far as someone to replace him, I mean, you want someone practical. You want someone who's going to be able to do stuff. So if we're looking at the worst, the, the least practical person there. Um, also, uh, you know what? I would hate three hours um, of every second Frodo gets upset because he does get upset at the lot a lot during the films. Uh, I would hate to just hear... Ah, Frodo, take a chill pill. Jacob, what was that horrible accent? What, were you trying to do an Arnold impersonation? Yes, I was trying to do an Arnold impersonation. Uh, there's a movie where he uh, does nothing but puns, and it's very annoying in that movie. So take it into a nine-hour adventure. It'd be even more annoying. I am picking Mr. Freeze. Uh, also, impractical. He has to be cold. The only time they're in cold is on the Misty Mountains, which Frodo's like, we got to get out of here. Very impractical. Time. 
All right. So Mr. Freeze versus Dory. <laughs> Five minutes when one of you starts talking. Look, if by some miracle Frodo had survived Fellowship, uh, Dory would have forgotten why they were, why were they holding Golden, Gollum prisoner uh, at the beginning of Two Towers and let him go, allowing him to kill Frodo. That all would have been uh, instantly in, eaten instantly as a nice, fr uh, raw, wriggling, fresh fish. Mr. Freeze, Mr. Freeze, look, I think there's plenty of gems and jewels in Middle-earth. I'm sure we could find some diamonds to power his suit. If we're giving Dory the power to at least survive on land, we can find some diamonds. He's a two-time... Well, you have to look winner. for the diamonds, though. You have the to look is, for though, the diamonds. He's a two-time Olympic decathlon winner. He does provide some kind He does provide some kind of things here. Sam's job was to keep Frodo alive. You know, there's, I can go on about all the things that Dory could have forgotten that would have just got Frodo dark. It would have killed Frodo. Walking down Kirithongal, seeing the bread, huh, what's that bread there? And carried on going back down. Frodo gets killed by Shelob. It, everything about Dory, the only good thing she provides to mind is the fact that she can read. Uh, so also, fun fact, um, you say Dory can only survive in water. That is the case. But also, Lord of the Rings is a fantastical land with talking trees. I'm sure they can think of something of, oh, hey, Dory can actually uh, swim in the air. Or you can take the real world, uh, and whenever you buy a fish, how do you get that fish from the store to your house? They give you a nice plastic bag full of water, and the fish is right there. Dory could be in the bag. Oh, yes, cool. take Mr. Away. Freeze. Take away, take away delivery for Gollum. Perfect. Loves a nice, raw, fresh, uh, fresh wriggling fish. Look, I don't think Mr. But Freeze Frodo has, Frodo has Sam tied up. As, as long as you get Frodo. some diamonds... You know, his suit keeps him cool. That ice storm would be very useful against orcs, wraiths, the Balrog, Urukai, and whatever else the forces of darkness can muster. Crossing the river at Amon Hen, easy. Running out of water in Mordor, problem solved. Defeating the Watcher in the water outside Moria, no worries. Shelob, taken care of. I, I don't understand how you would uh, say the loss of water that would be solved with Mr. Freeze. Uh, he shoots it's ice. Hot. You would it's have to melt that. Get ice out of the gun. Oh, it's melted water. Let Jacob. He talk. would be. Yes, he would be walking around, oh, I can't take this heat. And who knows where diamonds are, because they're never actually seen. You don't know if they'll be there, so he's probably going to be out of a suit for most of the time. He'll be very uncomfortable the entire time and making puns about ice, which when you're when you're sweating your balls off in Mordor, ah, chill pill, I wish this place was cold. It, it, it would not be good. With Dory... You know, I really wish we saw a movie where Dory helped someone on an adventure. That's right. She does help Marlon get to her son. And the fact that she can only read, she is useful and that helps. Plus, she's very motivational. Uh, most known saying in that movie, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. When Frodo's like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Sam was there of, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Dory will be right there attached to his side. Hey, Frodo, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Boom, takes that place. What is, what is Mr. Freeze doing? Ah, oh, Frodo, you son of a bitch. Chill. Plus, yeah, you know what? I should chill. You know what, you know what, Victor? You're absolutely right. I should chill. But the thing is, not it's not just the quest you've got to think of here. Sam is first and foremost a gardener. And if we learn anything from Batman and Robin, is that Freeze is has a certain talent for taking care of plant life. Well, at least it was implied. 
Oh, that was a sexual joke. Uh, he can't help uh, plant life. That was all poison ivy. Um, and then the other thing is um, the ring tries to corrupt everyone around Frodo. You saw it with Boromir. You saw it try to take out Aragorn. Dory, she doesn't remember her life. Super easy not to, to not be able to corrupt her. Whereas Mr. Freeze. Oh, yeah. His wife has McGregor syndrome. The entire time he's with her, you can just hear Sauron going, I have the cure. Take the ring. Kill Frodo. Another bad reason of why uh, Mr. Freeze would be good with Frodo. Told you, they wouldn't have made it to... If Dory was replacing Sam, they wouldn't have made it to Rivendell. They wouldn't have even made it to Rivendell. Those ring race would have got the ring. Sauron has it back. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have even had a chance to corrupt Dory because it, Dory's already got Frodo killed. You know, the only... The only thing, like, I agree, Dory might be a good replacement for Pippin, because then she f she would completely forget to, she wouldn't remember who Frodo is, wouldn't remember to reveal his identity in the middle of the Prancing Pony, and the ring race don't never get attracted. Replace Pippin? Oh, fine, Dory can replace Pippin, but in no way should you replace Sam. Frodo would die before they reach Rivendell. Time. All right, uh, Jacob, you'll be closing first on this one. You have one minute when you start talking. So as far as Dory uh, giving away their, um, where they are with the ring race, we don't know that. She's in a bag. You might not be able to hear, hear her talk during that moment. Uh, and then also with finding the FLS, plain and simple, get Mary or Pippin to do it. That's an easy job. They can do that. Uh, so it's simple to get, get past, get into Rivendell, and then go on to Mordor. And again, she's very motivational. Whereas Mr. Freeze, he does have a cool suit that is powered by diamonds. I've never seen diamonds in uh, the uh, in Middle Earth. Are you going to take time out of your journey to destroy the one ring while you're running away from orcs and goblins to actually mine for diamonds? No. And saying other gems would work, why didn't Mr. Freeze buy a bunch of rubies or even cheaper diamonds? Or not cheaper diamonds, but cheaper jewels in Batman and Robin to power a suit. No, he went with diamonds. Um, and again, just hearing, ah, Frodo, chill, is so much worse than just keep swimming. Time. All right. Joe, you now have one minute when you start talking. Yeah, hearing just keep swimming in a movie that has zero swimming. You know, get somebody else to do Sam's job. That's literally what you just said. Get somebody else to do Sam's job. That's why Dory's a worse replacement, because you have to get everybody else to do what Sam would have done. With Dory there, she would she's so forgetful, she would have forgotten everything to do. Frodo would have been dead. You know, this is this is the point. Freeze, all right, you have to get some diamonds. If we're accepting that Dory's gonna survive on land, we're gonna accept that Mr. Freeze can get some diamonds. But the fact of the matter is he's a two-time Olympic decathlon winner. He has numerous skills he's a scientist he's a genius he has this weapon that is going to be phenomenal use against against many different things he's going to speed frodo up took him ages to cross that river took him ages to cross uh, on the buckleberry ferry he can just freeze the water and they've walked across saves a lot of time may not get held up by faramir may not get held up by all these different things that held them up through the dead marshes frozen straight across all these different things that um Mr. Freeze could have benefited Frodo by saving them time and getting the ring. Dory would have forgot. The ring race would have found the ring. Goes back to Sauron. They're dead. All right. We all good? Mm -hmm. um, okay, this was weird. Uh, this took a lot of turns that I wasn't <laughs> expecting. Uh, that being said, I'm going with Joe. 
Um, I think that Joe's closing was really strong when he said, um, basically, uh, Jacob spent most of his close closing saying, "Here, are, oh, these are the things that you said would be an issue with Dory. Just have Mary or Pippin do it." And Joe was like, "That's what we're doing right now is finding the replacement." Uh, so I thought that was a really good slam. So uh, I give it to Joe. Cody, where are you going? Not surprised we disagree. Um, I went to Jacob. Um, the reason why I went with Jacob is because I think he like raised a lot of good points on the matter, like especially like figuring in Saruman like into the thing about like convincing him like I have the cure for your wife and like that lead off where it would go and kind of portrayed him as like this big brute against Frodo. So that that helped sell it for me, but it was close. Right. It was closer than I thought this fight would be. Yeah, uh, Lucas, you get to decide it. So I'm actually. Um... I'm going to go with Joe as well. And I have a feel very similar to Tim. I think that closing to me was uh, probably the strongest moment of the entire debate and really just kind of sealed it in. I also think Jacob got a little bit too caught up doing the Mr. Freeze voice. And every time he did the Mr. Freeze voice, I was like, you just made a joke and you could have made a point. And I feel like over time, Joe just kept adding up points and Jacob was kind of making a joke. So it really, over time, he started to build a lead. And then I think that the closing argument was when uh, Joe really took it. All right. So Joe wins the first point. Uh, we do move on to question number two, which is coming uh, from the category of sports, which was drafted by Jacob. And the question is, uh, what is the funniest scene in a sports comedy? Funniest scene in a sports comedy. Uh, so, Jacob, you drafted this. So you get to go first. Uh, you have one minute when you start talking. The funniest scene in a sports comedy is simple. It is from uh, Dodgeball, a true underdog story. The scene is Troop 417, the Girl Scouts, taking on Average Joe's gym in a dodgeball match to qualify for the big tournament in Vegas. The entire scene itself is about 3 minutes, 30 seconds. It's a great blend of both slapstick uh, comedy and then just comedic moments. Um, you also have a great uh, song going in the background, Take It Off by the Donnas, which is very underused. Uh, but it's great because it starts off um, with with the average Joe's just getting ready to play. The, we have no idea what we're doing. We kind of trained. Who are we playing? Uh, Gordon takes his book out. Troop 417, Steve the Pirate. Oh, a bunch of Boy Scouts. Um, and then Vince Vaughn uh, looks up. Peter, he looks up and... Um, uh, not exactly. And then you have the nice guitar riff to start off the song as these badass Girl Scouts walk in and wreck shop against Average Joe's gym. All right. Um, we will now bring in Joe. Joe, you now have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Uh, we all know comedy is subjective. Um, and what one person finds funny, another person could sit stone-faced, arms folded, and uh, occasionally glancing at their watch. So in order to decide what's the funniest, I think you need to have a general sort of consensus around the matter. And in this case, the internet being a hive of people who need to have their opinions heard is actually quite useful. Um, lists upon lists of best movies, best scenes, best performances. So for this reason, I've pitched the Grace scene in Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Um, not only is it a really funny scene that has you know great comedians uh, firing on all cylinders. Um, it consistently ranks high in the list of funniest scenes. Um, the big laugh in this scene, you know, it comes from seeing the feast that Carly has prepared for her family, and it's all you know Domino's and KFC and Wonder Bread and Dr Pepper. Um, we also learn uh, that Ricky is partial to Baby Jesus. That's who he prays to. Um, 
Cow likes to think of baby Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt with giant eagle wings. It gives us the family dynamic. It's a really oh, funny scene. Fuck. Sorry. <laughs> uh, ooh, showing my cards. Okay. Uh, I actually love both these movies. Uh, guys, five minute free form when one of you starts talking. Uh, so your scene, uh, the biggest issue I have is it, it goes on too long. You know, hey, it's funny. My Jesus is the baby Jesus. Then you have Cal. Oh, mine's the tuxedo shirt. Uh, Walker, he's the the ninja. Texas Ranger does something else. And then uh, Chip's like, he was a man. He was 40. And then he goes back to the baby Jesus. It, it goes on too long. Plus the whole scene is bad uh, product placement. Right before you have... Um, Ricky Bobby doing all those commercials for all these companies. So, okay, product placement, whatever. And then you're just getting beaten over the head with even more product placement. In, in a movie scene. about NASCAR, yeah. But it beats you over the head. With my scene, this is the first time dodgeball is used. Throughout the entire movie, everyone's getting hit in the face or in the nuts. In this scene, actually only one person gets hit in the face. Everyone else gets hit either in the shoulder, the back. Plus, you have memorable lines. Uh, at the start, Gordon looks at his... Um, Mail order wife, and she gives the whole the loser sign. Look, I like, want to L for memorable, memorable lines. All the memorable lines in Dodgeball, Dodgeball come from Patches O'Hulahan, and he's not in this scene. You know, you're talking about comedy. Comedy is usually memorable. It's what you quote to your friends the next day after you've seen the movie. You don't quote anything from this scene. You quote Patches O'Hulahan. You you quote you know the Lance Armstrong stuff at the end. But the thing is, I I appreciate your issues with the scene, but that's why I've gone with the gray scene is because it const consistently ranks in the funniest scenes. You know, comedy is subjective. You might not find it funny, but the thing is the consensus puts it out there with the funniest. With dodgeball, it is. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. That's what ranks as the funniest scene from dodgeball. So you haven't even picked the funniest scene from your movie. It might be the, it might be the funniest scene to you, but I think the funniest scene is something that is appreciated overall by the general audience. No, good comedy is it knows when to stop. You know, you dodge a wrench, you dodge a ball. Oh, kind of funny. Then he gets hit in the face with a wrench. Oh, and then they're dodging cars. It gets over, and that's the entire movie. It really kind of gets over, over funny. That's what's great about this scene. It's all of the movie Dodgeball crammed into one scene, so it never goes on too long. Whereas Ricky Bobby, hey, we just had product placement. Guess what? We're going to have three more minutes of product placement and beating you over the head of Jesus was a baby. He was a teenager. He was a man, and you can picture him however you want to. Oh, and by the way, he was a baby. But the problem is, obviously, you look at, dodgeball the whole you know there's lots of different dodgeball matches in that and i think the different dodgeball matches they sort of blend together each has their own sort of funny moments and it's sort of they sort of balance uh, unbalance each other out which is um they sort of um cancel each other out which is why i think the patches of hulahan stuff sticks more than in that you know the the gray scene itself you know just on surface value the scene is funny you know you've got the dialogue the improvisation you can see john c Riley trying his hardest not to laugh even he is finding it funny you know the deliveries are great you have the underlying joke supporting that the fact that walker and texas ranger are being encouraged to disrespect their elder while ricky bobby is praying you know this is a complete violation and the stuff about product placement again it is the underlying it's a movie about nascar the product placement is there it is referencing nascar itself you know the arguments about which Jesus is the right Jesus, each, you know, and the different Jesuses they imagine. John John C. Riley jumping in with his improv, improvisational snaps at Chip. This is all the sort of stuff that makes this scene funny. But again, comedy is subjective, and you have you have to look at the consensus. You know, you go to YouTube and fight and type in funniest scenes from our respective movies. You know, the great scene in Talladega Nights is one of the first. It's the first scene that comes up. 
you know, while the Girl Scout scene is further down the list and it's all about if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. If you can dodge, tra dodge traffic, you can dodge a ball. These are the funny, these are funnier scenes in your movie. I mean, again, comedy is subjective. You might think they're funnier. I think this one's funnier because it doesn't go over the top. Uh, plus, you have memorable quotes from the scene. Again, the L for love. Uh, one thing that makes this scene better is you actually see the dodgeball taking place, uh, and it's not too over the top. Uh, you're not skipping through parts. You see the entire match, and it's a bunch of middle-aged guys getting beaten up by 12-year-old girls. Uh, what makes it hilarious, too, every single guy except for um, Peter gets eliminated like that. Peter has the ball. He throws and hits one of the girls, and she hits the ground. Oh, you hit a girl. How could you do that? And then just the, the comedy of that. And then he's like, oh, crap, what did I do? And he gets hit. And you never you never see it. Uh, you never see in any of the other dodgeball matches. But this one, he's like, That's okay, because I'm going to throw off some quits. The other dodgeball matches are funnier. They have, you know, when people quote re reference the dodgeball matches, they're referencing – Pretty much one thing, and it's Jason Bateman's cotton, and he is not in this match, and he is the funniest part of those dodgeball matches, and he's and not neither is Patches O'Houlihan. You just said Patches O'Houlihan's the only memorable person, and then you brought Jason Bateman. Um, I, I said also forgot I said to say. I said he's the funniest. Time. All right, uh, Joe, you get to close first. You have one minute when you start talking. As I've said, as I've said plenty of times during this argument, I think comedy is subjective, and I think you have to look at the general consensus around what is the funniest scene. What's funny to one person isn't necessarily funny to another person, and that's why this debate could go um, on and on and round and round forever. But I think when it comes to dodgeball, if you look at general consensus, even my own personal opinion is that Patrick O'Hulahan uh, is the funnier part of dodgeball, is of dodgeball, and also the funnier part of the matches themselves is uh, Jason Bateman's Cotton, and he is not in on either of these matches. Um, the gray scene itself, um, it's. It has the surface humor, it has the underlying humor. I think it works on lots of different levels. You've got the improvisation of two uh, incredible comedians. Um, Ferrell's uh, classic deadpan delivery is on top form here. Um, you've just got the differences. Even the kids, um, Walker and Texas Ranger, have memorable lines from this. Um, they're firing on all cylinders. Um, the improvisation, the dialogue itself, the delivery, everything about the scene is um, incredibly hilarious and works um, to a perfect level. Whereas um, the dodgeball scene, it's not even the funniest scene in the movie. There are plenty of other scenes that can top it. All right. Jacob, you now have one minute to close your argument. So again, the reason I picked this scene in dodgeball is because it's not beating over your head. Every single elimination in the tournament, you're either getting hit in the face or hit in the crotch. You're getting beat over the head. And that's exactly what Joe's scene in Talladega Nights is. Oh, hey, we made a funny joke about slaving over, over um, dinner. But oh, it's actually, she just bought a crap ton of food. So it's product placement. After getting beat over the head with product placement 30 seconds before that. Uh, the baby Jesus like takes way too long. It should have just been, Oh, I think Jesus is the baby. And well, I picture Jesus as this. I picture Jesus as this. Okay, whatever. And no, then he goes back into dear Lord, sweet baby Jesus, six pounds and just keeps going on. Like, okay, I, I I'm a horse. I'm dead. Now you can quit beating me. Whereas this scene, it knows when to stop. Uh, and then again, Peter leaving uh, the stage after getting eliminated, that was off. You're adopted. Your parents don't even love you. Telling that to an eight-year-old kid, it's hilarious. Time. All right. Bring in the judges. I have a feeling that I'm just like all over the place tonight. We're going to find out. This is going to be <laughs> weird. Uh, Lucas, you get to start because you 
decide. Yeah. Um, interesting debate. Um, it, it's weird because you could judge this as very close, or you could judge this as very far apart. And I think that I went back and forth between those two things, and I ended up going Joe. Um, I'm going to be honest. The argument that the Talladega Night scene is beating them over the head, um, I never found particularly effective, and going back to it over and over again just didn't work for me. Um, I just didn't think it was an argument that, that carried a lot of weight. I don't think he ever explained it particularly well, and I think he also got so focused in refusing that argument that you never really explained why your scene was that funny until like the final end minutes. And um, I think Joe's argument that that scene is, you know, the fifth or sixth most memorable scene of the movie, I think, you know, carried a lot of weight. I would go Joe. All right. Uh, I actually went Jacob this time. Um, I think that Jacob's closing was pretty strong. I also, the his argument about the jokes in the Grace scene just kind of going on and on and on and it kind of loses its steam and it also beats you over the head just like over and over again with the same thing that works for me also joe's main crux of his argument being getting this off of lists and if you search it on youtube you'll find it and everything didn't really work for me because by that standard we could say what's the best james cameron movie and i could search and just my whole argument could be oh well the internet said it was aliens so like that didn't work for me so uh i went with jacob but i i i i don't know i could have gone either way but ultimately i went with Jacob. so cody you get to decide this one um you know my favorite thing ever in a debate about comedy is hearing comedy is subjective like fourteen thousand times fucker just tell me what's funny and then let me laugh by the way both of these scenes hilarious uh nothing feels like beating over the head um I wanted a girl I would name her Dr. Quinn and Medicine Woman. Um, I went with Joe because I think overall at the end of the day, I think like there was a, there was this, it was just like semantics. Like that's not funny. And this is not funny. Well, I know that's the debate, but like the breakdown of the scene and everything well, didn't come till late. Um, and you did a really good job of trying to tackle Joe at the very end, but I felt like Joe, that just didn't work for me as well. So overall, I thought Joe took it. All right, so Joe gets point number two. Uh, we're going to move on to question number uh, three, which was drafted uh, by Mr. Fairley. Uh, the question is, in Actors and Actresses, uh, what is the best Sam Rockwell performance? Um, so this, like I said, was drafted by Joe. He's going to go first. Um, Joe, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Um, in my opinion, I think Sam Rockwell is one of the finest actors working today. I think his a lot of his roles are so memorable, um, just down from everything he's done. Um, I think he brings a sense of joy and passion to um, every role he's played. He, he may, may be the best part of Iron Man too, um, and has shown he can uh, lead a movie in which he's the only actor. Um, he plays a great villain, a great sidekick, a great father figure. Um, a death fearing crewman number six. Um, I think he's incredible uh, and incredibly the Academy has only recognized his talents uh, twice, nominating him for Vice and dubbing him the best supporting actor for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And in this case, I kind of got to agree with the Academy here. Uh, I think not only was he 
the best that year. I think three billboards outside uh, Ebbing, Missouri um, was his best ever. I think throughout his career, he's been excellent at playing angry Southern men um, who aren't as smart as they think they are. Uh, and I think three billboards is the perfection of this. Time. All right. Uh, Jacob, you now have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Sam, is, is, Sam Rockwell is easily the best part of Iron Man 2 because that is a crappy movie. However, that's not what I picked. Uh, the movie that I picked is Jojo Rabbit, uh, where he plays Ca Captain Klenzendorf. Uh, the man plays a Nazi, which should be cancel culture immediately. Somehow is not because he does such a great job of it. Uh, he is He's like the fifth or sixth build actor because he's hardly in the movie. Yet the entire time you see him in the movie – he has a full-on thread. He starts off, uh, he's a captain uh, being forced to, to watch kids. He's annoyed. He wishes he could live his glory days. And then he builds that relationship with Jojo, kind of being like a father figure to him. Uh, you see where um, Jojo and Elsa are at their house. The Gestapo walk in. Sam Rockwell jumps in uh, and actually saves them because of that relationship. And then also at the very end, he saves Jojo from dying when the allies take over from Germany. He makes you like a Nazi, which shouldn't happen. Time. All right. Jojo rabbit versus three billboards, five minutes of free form. When one of you starts talking, look, I think both these performances make us like a character who is a horrible, uh, bigoted individual. But I think the difference is Jojo rabbit. Captain Cleansor feels more like a caricature of a Nazi than an actual Nazi. Whereas, the character um, Jason Dixon, who he plays in Three Billboards, is an outright bigger. It is shown throughout the scenes, and the fact that we still like him after that, I think, is a much, much harder thing to do, which is why I think it's uh, the better performance. I think um, you just see it, that whole performance, balancing the bigotry with the desire to better himself in the cruel uh, twist of karma. I think Captain Klenzoff is a great character, but the eccentric character in an already crazy world is another one of uh, Rockwell's specialities, um, like he did in Galaxy Quest. But I think um, the performance in uh, Three Billboards is a lot more grounded, but and it's a lot darker. And I think to get us to still like that character through his performance, I think it's a lot. It's a much harder job to do. But do we ever actually like that character? The only time you root for him is when he's in the bar with the guy we think raped uh, the main character's daughter which is already an even more horrible person than a racist. So of course you're going to, you're going to root for him afterwards. It's liking the performance rather than liking the characters. It's about being in awe of this performance that he does. You know, his performance in Jojo is good. And that final turn at the end, it's a great moment, but it does kind of feel totally out of left field compared to what he's doing for the rest of the movie. You know, there's nothing in that performance to make you think that saving Jojo is something that Captain Klenzendorf would do. He spends the whole rest he of the movie. He saves Elsa like 30 minutes die. earlier. He saves Elsa 30 minutes earlier. I, I don't see how you don't see that being something. He spends does. the rest of the movie sending kids out to die. You know, it, the performance in Jojo, you know, it seems like a sort of a mesh of his performance in uh, Galaxy Quest, Three Billboards and The Way Way Back, which are all amazing performances. But I think meshing them together the way he does, it dilutes that performance slightly. And I think they, it, it results in more of a homage than something new. Uh, I mean, you're a bad guy turned into a good guy. That's, Let's that's exactly what both of these performances are, which has been around since the time of movies. Basically, the biggest difference between our performances, you have um, a racist, whether it's a Southern racist or a Nazi, someone that you're not supposed to like, have a complete 180 turn. They both happen in both movies. The difference is 
your character's in a majority of your movie, whereas mine, his performance is so good, he's able to do that in not even a third of the film. And he's memorable being in the th a third of the film when you have amazing performances around him. He's able to steal every scene he's in and make himself memorable. Yeah, I think, look, Rockwell often plays nice guys, but he's. I think he's more effective here as this racist, violent cop, and he's more effective than When you. does he play nice guys? Iron Man 2, three billboards. Um, I think I think the way, way back, I think- Jojo Moon, Rabbit, think, he plays I think bad Galaxy guys West, all the I think, time. I think, I think, you know, the way, way back, he's definitely, he's definitely a nice guy in that. But the thing is, I think he, in this movie, he looks older, he looks you know, pudgier, you know, he, he drinks himself to sleep every night, doesn't really trust that life has much in store for him. I think Rockwell has a big arc in Three Billboards and he takes no full steps, which is his usual thing. But I think in this, I think the darkness that he brings to that role and the fact that you still like this performance and you know, you may not like the character, but you love this performance. You know, the Academy is not always right, but I think in this case, uh, they were right. I think, like I said, his performance in Jojo is more of a caricature than it is of a character that you can actually believe, which is Taika Waititi's style, granted. But I think the difference is, I think in Three Billboards, he is given much more space to actually develop this character more than just a caricature, which is what he does in Jojo Rabbit. But I mean, if you look at Jojo Rabbit, it's pretty much a character of the entire, uh, of all of Nazism. I mean, Taika Waititi plays Hitler himself, who is just a figment of imagination. That's, that's exactly what the movie's supposed to be. And he does a fantastic job of doing it. Again, most people don't want to play Nazis. And he took it and ran with it and did a fantastic job of it. Granted, but I think what McDonough does with Three Billboards, obviously, you know, he set up this he set up this story, but I think what Sam Rockwell brings to that, you know, for what is essentially, you know, he's not the main police officer in this film, you know, that's taken by Woody Harrelson. I think what he brings to that is an underlying thing of, yes, this is this is Woody Harrelson's subordinate, but also there is a lot more, and it's based around the script, but what he brings to that around the stuff with his mother and everything like that, everything else that's going on in this movie, I think he, he layers every single art, part of this character from the uh, forward-facing police officer that is the what the, the the audience knows to down to the what's going on behind the scenes for this character i think it's all explained which is not what he's given the ability to do in jojo rabbit Time. all right jacob uh no yes yes this is you get to go sure first. yes you do uh all right one minute to close when you start talking Okay, just because he has the Oedipus Syndrome and his love with his mother, which is randomly thrown in that he still lives with his mom, uh, is super weird. Again, you never really like this character. You hate him throughout the entire film. You actually root for uh, the main lady when she's throwing Molotovs at the police department, and he's just in the office listening to music. You're, you're rooting for him to die, pretty much. Yes, he manages to get that guy's DNA when it's the guy who supposedly raped the main girl's daughter, but you're never really cheering for him. You're cheering for the other person to fail. Whereas with Jojo Rabbit, uh, Captain Klenzendorf, you're not supposed to like this character. You're not supposed to like any of those characters. And he's able to make it his own in a third of the film he is memorable. Every scene he's in, you remember him because that's how great his performance is. Whereas with three billboards, not I mean I there's I just watched this day and there's so much I forgot because it's not great. All right. Joe, you now have one minute when you start talking. 
You know what? You're supposed to be rooting for Mildred in three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. And the fact that uh, Sam Rockwell's performance allows that to grow even more, I think that's a very impressive thing. I think, um, you know, uh, regardless of um, McDonough's dramatic cynicism, I think the performance um, accepts that people can change, uh, despite the fact that this character you know, has been so bigoted throughout that. I think, you know, it starts with him defending Sheriff Willoughby's name, jealously reacting to waging a personal war against Mildred, but somehow Rockwell layers Jason Dixon, allowing him to grow as a human being throughout the course of the film. I think Jojo Rabbit, he's limited by being a caricature, and I think he's limited, uh, he's narrowed by the script. I think that the, the heroic moment at the end, which is what makes you root for him, I think it's totally out of left field. And I think it it just it just dampens that performance. It feels like a caricature. It feels like a mesh of other characters and other roles he's done before, which dilutes that performance. But I think Three Billboards was something truly unique for Sam Rockwell. I think it's something that he elevated, something that he layered, something that he really went in depth on. And I think that's why it is his best performance. All righty. Um... <clears throat> Okay. Uh, we all good? All right, Cody, you get to start this one. Yeah, I felt like this was... These are just some weird fights tonight. Like, they're not... Like, I feel like there's correct answers and stuff all around, but it's just not where it's working. I went with Joe. I just think he painted that portrayal of that character um, and why that is the best performance compared to everything else. Um, yeah. I just feel, and I think, I think Joe, what he's done all night is his closing is super strong. And I think another strong showing tonight. Lucas. I think there's a couple of really big moments here. Um, one was when Joe took uh, all the components of the Jojo Rabbit character and basically tied it into previous Sam Rockwell performances. The moment where he pointed out what he was able to refute the Sam Rockwell always plays villain by mentioning like five different characters. And then the closing, I think, is also really strong. I don't understand the Oedipus complex shot at Rockwell. Uh, uh, that, to me, was very confusing and, uh, and actively hurt the argument that was being made in that moment. Um, I'm also going Joe. Okay. Um, so that means Joe gets the point. I also did go Joe, uh, basically, for most of the reasons you guys said. I thought Jacob did a good job in this fight. There were a couple things that he said um, uh, about how, you know, there's a character that has like a third of the screen time of the other characters and yet he is like one of the big standouts of the movie and that takes a good performance to do it but joe just i think piled on why his the performance in three billboards uh was so much better so i went with joe which means your winner by way of knockout is joe Farrelly. uh we are going to start by actually talking to jacob jacob uh you had a good performance tonight um the first two were split decisions. This one uh, just kind of came down to Joe there. Um, but you played well. Uh, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm feeling good. Uh, I, I do really enjoy debating because uh, it's you never know how it's going to go. Whenever you're planning, you're basing off of this stuff. Uh, and then as soon as you start, everything just hits the fan immediately. Um, that last question was really the one I wasn't confident in. Uh, I knew I was taking a big shot by going with Jojo Rabbit. Um because he's not the main character. He's not even supporting, really. Um, but I just, I really like that performance, and I feel that movie needs to be talked about more. That's fair. Uh, so uh, this doesn't mean that uh, you're not going to play again this season, but next season, is there someone that you want to uh, play in debate? Uh, 
I mean, I, I hate this 0-2 record, uh, so I feel like an easy win like uh, Chris Diaz or Hunter if he partakes in this. Um, I, I'd hate to be a part of it, but at the same time, you got to get that that loss. you got to get a win on that record. Woof. Uh, so uh, we'll see you next season sometime, Jacob. Uh, I'm excited because you did play well tonight, so we'll see you next season sometime. Uh, Joe, welcome. First win on the record. You are now 1-1. One uh, we do know uh, what your next match is going to be, but before we get to that, how are you feeling about your performance tonight? Yeah, it feels uh, it feels a lot better. I think I prepped a little bit better this time. I think, like I said last time, I had a bit. I hadn't done this for a while, um, and I remember to get back in, go into the opponent's shoes. What are they going to hit me with? Um, I love dodge, I love dodgeball. I love Jojo Rabbit, especially Sam Rockwell and Jojo Rabbit. It's really hard sometimes to put down things that you do enjoy. Um, a little bit disappointed we didn't get to the fourth question because actually had probably the most fun um, writing my argument for that one. But it's the way it goes sometimes. Um, Jacob is always good fun. Um, he always makes me laugh whenever I see him debate or hosting. So um, it, this was good fun. Awesome. Uh, well, uh, we do have your next match. You are going to be going up against Cameron Holtzman in your next match. So uh, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, it's good. I think I think maybe once um, for fandom, I think I've played against Cameron, um, maybe in teams. But, um, yeah, always good fun. Uh, I do enjoy Cameron. Um, very um, strong when it comes to the animated stuff, so I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. So we will have that match uh, very soon. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, let's get final thoughts, starting with Lucas. What do you think? Yeah, um, yeah. I think Joe, when he said it correctly, when he said he prepped really well, um, there was that was one thing I think that really came out in the in the arguments is that he consistently had um, multi tiers to his arguments. He could refute kind of like the more obvious shots taken at anything he was making. And he was just kind of good about like staying on message and kind of keeping um, pounding the same argument. Uh, Jacob had some good ideas, but at times got sidetracked into like side avenues or saying something he thought was really funny. And like, I think if he structures himself a little better, he'll do a lot, lot more successfully at the second time out. Yeah. And Cody, what about you? Uh, Joe's kind of a hard person to debate because he comes off sounding like he's nice, but he's actually like, just dropping just fucking dick shots at you the entire time. Like, oh, that's a great choice, but you're kind of a shitty person for picking that. Um, it was kind of nice. No wonder we got in a war with him, you know, in the 1700s. Um, but uh, overall, uh, <laughs> but overall, uh, just a great showing. Uh, again, I, I I felt like Joe got a bad rap the very first time he played. Um just because he had to play Kirk and Kirk was pissed because he lost his last match. So um, overall, I think Joe versus Cam is going to be a very interesting because uh, Joe definitely preps and so does Cam and see, I'm going to see the counter punches where who ad adapts better to the counter punch. Cause that's going to be the most interesting thing. Absolutely. Well guys, uh, thank you for checking out this episode of multiplex fan zone debate. We are going to be back actually in two weeks. With another match, we have Joe Harrison playing Ryan O'Regan. Uh, then two weeks later, we got the aforementioned uh, Joe Fairley versus Cameron Holtzman. So it's going to be really exciting. We'll see you real soon with those matches. Until next time. Bye. Asshole! That's my bad. I was sending a tweet.